0: As we begin this morning with, with the message, I want to let you go ahead and, and kind of uh, be flipping, if you have your Bible with you, uh, to where we're going to be studying this morning, in Luke chapter one, uh, specifically through verses 68 through 79, but we're going to be speaking of Zechariah's story as a whole. As you guys are looking uh, for that, or you're flipping to that in your Bibles, let me pray for us this morning. Almighty God, we are grateful, Lord, for your love for us, Lord, for your presence with us, for giving us, Lord, the opportunity to come into your presence and to worship you and to lift up these songs. Lord, we we count it as um, as a privilege, Lord, for us to be able to approach the throne of grace, as your scripture says, with boldness because of the faith that we have in Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray this morning that as we're studying your word, as we're as we're opening up the scriptures, Lord, and hearing your voice speak, your timeless voice speak, I pray, God, that we're you're opening our hearts and you're you're making us malleable, Lord, to become shaped and formed. Lord, into the likeness of your Son Jesus Christ, who we know, Lord, was the most perfect representation of you, our God, and did the the most most perfect offer of praise and worship by his life and Lord that's what we seek to be that's who we strive to be like Lord to be honoring you to be worshiping you with every breath that we have so this morning Father I pray that we become teachable and moldable Lord that you speak your life into us Lord, as I speak, I just pray that it's not my words that are being spoken, Lord, but it's your spirit, Lord, just using me as a vessel. Lord, not only just to speak to everyone in this room that's on that end, but on this end as well, Lord. I I put myself in that same place. Speak and encourage me as well. In Christ I pray. Amen. So we have been... Looking at the importance of, or just the significance of the song, the hymn, the carol, whenever it comes to celebrating and, and, um, and really being festive in this season of Christmas. And I know that there's a, a lot of you out there that really appreciate the, the, uh, the festive songs. We, uh, as our family, this past week, we were able to, and we had the, the privilege of going and seeing the Trans-Siberian Orchestra, um, and I, I tell you, it's funny because Mindy came up and asked me, Go, so do you think that, do, do you, did you feel like that was a little bit too much with the Trans Siberian Orchestra? I said, Absolutely not. <laughs> I said, That's what I paid for. I paid for the show, I paid for the screaming guitars and just the, the orchestra, the whole thing. And it was amazing the the, um, the compilations of songs that they played within that, um, within that two-hour set. And one of the th- songs that they kind of incorporated into their, I guess, rock opera or- uh, orchestra was one of a composer that I'm sure that we've all at least heard the name of. In fact, you've probably heard portions of his work in, in multiple songs that you've listened to and not even realize it. And this composer's name was Ludwig van Beethoven. Anybody ever heard of Beethoven? <laughs> All right, good. Beethoven was, is probably the most famous composer, I would say, in the last two or three hundred years. I mean, his work was an absolute masterpiece. And one of the things that I think that we, we don't know as we listen to his work is that his work was actually a reflection in a lot of ways of his life and the things that he was experiencing and going through at the time. In fact, one of the, his most famous symphonies is the Beethoven's Fifth, Beethoven's Fifth Symphony. Now, Beethoven, was a, he was a brilliant mastermind of naming his symphonies that he just He named them by the number that he wrote them. So in his fifth symphony, he wrote it. It took him about four years to write this symphony. But what was going on in Beethoven's life at this time was he was struggling with his health. He was continuing to have a a decline in his health. In fact, one of the things that was really ailing him was his, his hearing. He was going deaf. And historians have looked back at Beethoven's life and they recognize that what was going on with him likely was the, the, uh, the results of lead poisoning. And it was something that was probably not anything he intended, but they ate from lead plates. He drank wine from lead goblets. And over time, some people have a, a huge sensitivity to lead. Well, one of the things that that was causing in Beethoven was his hearing loss. And over these four years, as he's struggling with hearing loss... He starts to have this this, um, psychic kind of craziness that's going on in his mind. And he starts to recognize that he's battling with the struggles of this deafness. And as a composer, you can imagine that was a huge problem. He was constantly being kicked out of places where he was renting because he would beat on his piano so loud because he couldn't hear it. And they thought, man, this guy is mad. I don't want him living near me. They would kick him out of his house. He'd to move from one place to another. But as he is in the midst of this, this, um, this deafness, he writes his Fifth Symphony. And he names his Fifth Symphony just merely fate. In fact, the first four notes of his Fifth Symphony is probably something that's really familiar to us. And if you could imagine, if you would, a man that is struggling with life, a man that is struggling with an ailment, was struggling with something that is going to be possibly, even could be the detriment of the very livelihood that he has. And he has this expectation that fate is knocking at the door. And this very dark, this very dark time in Beethoven's life comes over him as he writes his fifth symphony. Now think for just a moment imagine this suffering through deafness through the pain and the the psychological effects of that affecting his work as he's writing this work and you think about this this fate or sickness or death knocking at the door Feel the anger. <laughs> Can you feel the frustration? In fact, in a lot of ways, we kind of s- synonym, uh, You know, we-, we kind of make this. That's the our dun 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 moment in life. It's just the most frustrating, you know, um, irritating parts of life. And that's exactly what Beethoven was going through during these four years that he composes this. But just after he composes his fifth symphony. He writes the same year in 1808 his sixth symphony, named for the sixth symphony that he wrote. And what Beethoven would do was in the midst of this time that he's struggling with all of these, these physical ailments and the going deaf, he would retreat into the woods. He would retreat into, um, into the, uh, this little cabin that was kind of um, dispersed out into the middle of the countryside and he's looking for and he's trying to find some type of peace in the midst of all of these struggles. So after he he composes this fifth symphony where fate's knocking at the door and life is so frustrating and struggling, he writes his sixth symphony as he's in the countryside and he comes to recognize that life is not all that terrible after all. In fact, one of the um, one of the critics of his 6th symphony writes that this is beethoven it shows in the 6th symphony a figure that is one that is um, at one with nature that is resting in the bosom of nature celebrating its bounty fearful of its sublime might and in the end expressing thanks to its creator for all of these states so unlike his 5th symphony which beethoven named fate he named his sixth symphony Pastoral. Pastoral meaning that he found peace and oneness with God walking through creation in the pastures of the countryside. Listen to the difference between these two symphonies written and composed the same year depending on his state of mind and depending on his, his relationship then with the Lord. difference huh huge difference and you know as i was thinking about beethoven and his kind of his ebb and flow of life especially in the midst of his ailment that could have hindered him from writing music at all in fact he wrote this last symphony the sixth symphony it wasn't his last one but he wrote the sixth symphony as he was deaf the fifth symphony as he was going deaf he was deaf when he wrote his sixth symphony but yet found joy and fulfillment and I thought that you know just as Beethoven was wrought with this physical ailment and was probably the most unlikely of thing being deaf that could become of a composer to write music how this might this be similar to this character and this person that we know in scripture Zechariah Now, the circumstances were a little bit different, but there was still a physical ailment that was in the midst of this particular story, Zechariah. You know, he was a composer, Zechariah, as well. Most of us don't recognize that. Zechariah the priest was a a composer of music, and he composed a hymn that we find in Luke chapter 1 that a lot of times, again, as I mentioned before, at the Christmas time we skip over these hymns, these, these songs that are composed by the Virgin Mary and composed by the priest Zechariah. But what happens leading up to Zechariah's composition of this hymn is one that I feel like is, has a lot of similarities to Beethoven's life and journey. Now most of us will not recognize Zechariah specifically as a composer. We'll remember him as a priest we remember him as the husband of Elizabeth. Elizabeth, who was Mary's cousin. And most famously, Zechariah was the father of John the Baptist. Now Luke, um, Luke's gospel gives us some insight into the events surrounding Zechariah's composition. Into some of the events surrounding the writing and the singing of his particular hymn. So the, um, the scriptures tell us some things that I think are very important for us to understand about Zechariah that that really gives us some context to the music that he wrote. Luke tells us that in verse 5 that that he was a priest of Abijah's division. You know, this was specific because we had to recognize, well, if if, if, if Zechariah was a part of a particular division of priests how many divisions were there well doing a little research recognized that there were 24 priestly divisions that would take turns in um in manning and supporting the temple they were out of these 24 uh, divisions they were chosen for two weeks at a time to go and to serve in the temple complex Verse 6 says that Zechariah was righteous in God's sight. Both he and his wife, Elizabeth, were righteous. So it wasn't just that Zechariah was a priest, but he was called righteous. And not righteous according to anyone else, but righteous according to God. His division, his division of priests, they happened to be, and when I say that, I mean that kind of in jest, because I, I see God's providence in how and when Zechariah was scheduled to be serving the temple. It says that his division just happened to be on duty in verse 8. And then it says he just happened to be chosen by Lot to go in and to burn incense in the presence of the Lord. Now, casting Lots was kind of a way for there to be a, um, an space for God to speak and offer his selection it was kind of a rolling of the dice and when they recognized that they needed to make choices and needed to make decisions they would cast lots and see where the decision where the answer fell and it fell on Zechariah now there were in each division there were about 18,000 priests about 18,000 priests Total, and if you can imagine the the possibility of Zechariah, his division being on um, being on point there at the time that he was called, and then stepping up, and then the the lot being cast for him to be chosen to be taken into or to walk into the presence of God, his chances. In fact, most biblical scholars believe that these particular callings to for a priest to enter into the Holy of Holies, happened maybe once in a priest's lifetime because there were so many priests and there were so many possibilities for other people to serve. So he goes in, in verse 11, and it talks about how he goes in to burn incense in the presence of the Lord, and the angel Gabriel appears to him. And Gabriel says this this phenomenal thing to him. He says, your prayers, your prayers, Zechariah, have been answered. Now, our first thought whenever we read this verse is we'd like to think that, well, maybe Zechariah's been praying for all of these years to have a son. But the truth is, Zechariah was an old man. He had probably given up on praying to have a son. His wife was old as well. And as we read through, when we get further into his song, his hymn, we start to recognize that, well, maybe Zechariah's prayer wasn't necessarily for a child, Maybe his prayers as a priest, as one who was righteous in the eyes of God, was one that was looking for and hoping for and praying for the salvation of mankind, the deliverance of Israel. And then he was told that his wife would give birth. And his son, John, he would prepare the way for the Messiah. So Gabriel tells Zechariah, not only are these things going to come to pass, you're going to be involved in them. They're coming to pass in your time. And Zechariah just kind of stand back out of all of these years that he has served, all of the possibilities that he had to be in the presence of the Lord, all the prayers that he had lifted up and, 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 and pleaded for God to deliver Israel, his response is one of disbelief. Luke chapter one verse eighteen through twenty records Zechariah's response. He says, "How can I know this for sure?" Zechariah asked the angel. I'm an, "I'm an old man; my wife is well along in years. You're telling me we're going to have a son. We're tell, you're telling me that he's going to be a part of this redemption process of leading and 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 being the the um, um, being the the uh, the person that, that goes before the Messiah and prepares the way? How can I know this for sure? Now, this question was a little bit different than the one that Mary offered. Mary was just merely asking whenever she questioned Gabriel, just how was this going to happen? She believed that she was going to be pregnant when Gabriel Told her that she was going to bear a son, he was going to be the Messiah. She was just wanting to know what are the details of how that's going to happen. Zechariah says, I need a sign. Because it's not just that I don't believe or that I don't know how it's going to happen, it's just the fact that I don't believe you. So Zechariah, in his disbelief, he asks for a sign. And the angel answered him in verse 19. He says, I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God and I was sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. Now listen, you will become silent. Here's your sign, Zechariah. Now listen, you will become silent and unable to speak until these things take place because you did not believe my words which will be fulfilled in their proper time. So Zechariah then is struck Dum, 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 dum. As he walks out of the Holy of Holies and he's signing all of these things and he's trying to tell everyone that was outside the temple of what had happened to them, he was unable to speak. He was struck mute. For the lack of a more politically correct word, he was struck dumb. And that was his dum-dum-dum-dum moment. And he comes out trying to explain this very thing, this very vision that he's seen. The fact that he knows in his heart, he knows that he's heard from the Lord that, that salvation is coming. And he comes out and he can't even say a word about it. And all the people are going, I know this game. One word, one word. It's a movie. Sounds like. No, they probably didn't do that. But can you imagine his frustration? He's so frustrated that at the end of his time that he's serving, he goes and he he, he, he excludes himself. He goes into complete exclusion out into the, back to his house, away from the temple, and he goes away with his wife, Elizabeth. The scriptures tell us that she, um, she secludes herself for five months, but we know that Zechariah's muteness lasted for the entire pregnancy. And while he was away, kind of like Beethoven, he's there to, to wallow in his sadness and his frustration. A, because he can't speak. He can't tell the people the things that he knows. But I believe as a priest, he was also ashamed. He was ashamed that he didn't believe. He was ashamed the fact that he had prayed for these things all of his life. And he probably entered into a long time of prayer and fasting and and begging of forgiveness from God our Father. And a time of maybe nine months, nine plus months of, of repentance. And it was at the point where Scripture tells us that John the Baptist was born. And according to Jewish tradition was taken to the temple to be circumcised and named. That Zechariah was then miraculously healed. And his voice was returned to him. You see it was at the point that he recognized and that he proclaimed belief in what the angel had told him and the way that he made that proclamation by was by simply naming his child who the angel told him to name him luke chapter 1 verse 62 through 64 says they motioned to zechariah after elizabeth had told the priest that John the Baptist's name would be John. And they were like, that doesn't make any sense. You guys don't have anyone in your family named John. And they look at Zechariah. And they say, Zechariah, what what do you say? And Zechariah, still unable to speak, motions for a tablet. He writes down these words. His name is John. And at that moment, they were all amazed because, verse 64, immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue was set free and he began to speak, praising God. You see, it was at the moment that Zechariah proclaimed his belief in what was told to him and fulfilled the words of the angel that he showed his belief and that his speech was restored his dum 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 moment had finally come to an end it had come to its full season and then from that season that his voice was restored became his pastoral moment to where he recognized the peace and the glory and the praise of god through the salvation that was coming through the messiah that had been promised And it was because of he now has discovered this this peace in the presence of God, and that the what God had expressed to him that was going to come true, that he could believe it and he could profess it, he pens this hymn. And much like Beethoven's pastoral hymn, his pastoral composition, Zechariah's composition sounds just as beautiful, just as poetic. filled with the holy spirit. Zechariah lifts up his voice and he says, "Praise the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has visited us." Speaking of being visited, he speaking of the angel Gabriel had come down as a messenger from God and visited with him had visited with Mary. God has seen fit to come down and visit with us and provide redemption for His people. Again, it was Zechariah's confidence that God's word and God's prophecy was coming true. He's going to provide redemption for His people. He's raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of His servant David. Now, specifically, John—excuse me—specifically Zechariah is talking about Jesus here. Because John the Baptist was not in the house of David. He recognizes and he proclaims the very thing that Gabriel had told him. And he shows his belief by prophesying the very, the very truths that had been entrusted to him. That the Messiah was going to come. He's raised up this horn, this power, powerful salvation for the house of his servant David. He goes on in verse 7, he says, Just as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets in ancient times, speaking of the Old Testament prophecies, salvation from our enemies and from the clutches of those who hate us. Now on first look, we like to think that maybe Zechariah was thinking along the lines of some of the other religious and political zealots of the time, and he was expecting the fact that God was sending a deliverer, a political or a a, um, military deliverer in Christ. But as we go through and we read the rest of Zechariah's hymn, he has this revelation that so many of the other disciples and the apostles didn't have. The fact that Zechariah recognized that our enemies and those who hate us are not physical people. It's evil. It's sin. And we see references to that in verse 74 and 77. He praises God in 72 and he says he's dealt mercifully with our fathers and he remembered his holy covenant. Zechariah recognized that that God could have at any point decided that he was going to do something different and provide salvation through someone else because of Israel's disobedience. How many times had Israel been disobedient? But Zechariah gives him a praise and he says that you've remembered us. You were merciful to our fathers when they were disobedient, when they were sinful. And you remembered your holy covenant. The oath that he swore to our father Abraham. He says he's given us this privilege. Since we've been rescued from the enemy's clutches. Again, from this sin's enslavement. To serve him, to serve God without fear in holiness and righteousness in the presence of all of our days. And this is how I know that Zechariah was speaking of a spiritual deliverance and not a physical deliverance because he speaks specifically of the fact that we will now be able to approach God without fear. What is the one thing that separates us from being able to approach the throne of grace, the throne of God? That's our sin. Zechariah proclaims that he's he's rescued us from those enemies. And because he's rescued us from that enemy of sin's enslavement, then we're gonna be free to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness. Only those who are holy and righteous can approach a holy God. Zechariah knew fair well that What was happening was the salvation was coming through this forgiveness of sins. And then he looks at his child. He looks at his son in verse 76. He spent this entire bit of his hymn praising God for his salvation, praising God for the Messiah, Jesus Christ, who was to come. And then he looks at his son and he says, "'Child, you will be called a prophet of the Most High.'" This father praises his child for being second string. How many dads do that? Like, oh yeah, that's my boy. He warms the benches. Zechariah knew that even his son was going to be subject to and was going to follow the Messiah. He recognized From the start, that he will go before the Lord and prepare his ways to give his people knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. Verse 78, he continues to sing because our God's merciful compassion, the dawn from on high will visit us to shine on those who live in darkness in the shadow of death and to guide our feet into the way of peace. Now, the fleshly, earthly Zechariah could have easily spent this entire opportunity to write this song about the birth of a son that had not come to him for generations and ages in his life with his wife, who was also up in age he could have spent this entire hymn thanking him for for giving me an offspring lord thank you for this son that you have promised me in my old age no what he does is he thanks god for his salvation that comes in christ he thanks god for what he recognizes has been promised to them and just the fact he has one little snippet in that hymn oh and by the way thank you for my son who's going to be included in this process. see, Zechariah's praise came at the moment that he believed in the one that God was sending, Jesus Christ, not John the Baptist, to save people, forgiving them from their sins, bringing them light and peace in the world. see this shift in Zechariah's life through these events that happened his dun 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 moment of desperation and then the peace and the restoration that comes to him at the point that he believes and he gives praise to God for the one true Savior the one true Lord who his, his son John would proceed, but yet point to the Savior. And he gives him thanks for that, and he believes the words that were spoken to him. You know, maybe in our lives, we can reflect on those dum-dum-dum-dum moments to where we've been struck with the understanding or the, the... Reality of our brokenness, of our sinfulness, we're struck with shame. We're struck with a with the realization that we need forgiveness. That our sins have overwhelmed us, and they've 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 caused us to be in this. This dark place in our life, just as Zechariah was for some nine months, wallowing in his sin and frustration and distance from God. But then, in the midst of remembering our dun, 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 dun season, we also can reflect on that pastoral season. whenever we did just as Zechariah did at the point that his son John was born and was named and he believed that we remember the point that we believed that we accepted the forgiveness of sins that we lifted up a hymn of praise for salvation that we moved from this from this composition of fate and death and frustration and darkness and evil in our, in our lives and we moved into this place to where we recognized wholeheartedly that we were walking in the presence of God because of the forgiveness of our sins. Can you reflect on that for a moment in your own life? For those of us who have recognized Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, sometimes it's good to remember the times before we knew who Jesus was. And the reason that it's good to remember is because we often often don't don't celebrate the salvation that we have. We often don't praise God, as Zechariah did, for recognizing the fact that we have forgiveness of our sins, for we've been brought out of that dum-dum-dum-dum moment into this pastoral... (laughs) and life's not always like that but we know in our heart of hearts we know the joy that we have whenever we carry that forgiveness of sins with us through Jesus Christ this morning as we commune together I want this to be a reflection in our own time and in our own lives. Sometimes it's really difficult to, to think about how to celebrate where we are whenever we don't reflect on what we've come from. Just as Beethoven had to recollect that time of fate, of of deafness of feeling the desperation and the weight of life and illness and then come out of that into a life of freedom, a life of peace, a life of comfort, just as Zechariah had entered into a season of disbelief, of shame, of frustration, and then was going through a season of repentance and then was delivered from that through the recognition of the Messiah that God was sending. The savior of the world, the savior not only of Israel but of the world and the savior for all mankind because of the consequences of their sins. This morning if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, if Jesus is your Lord and savior, This is a time for each one of us to reflect on where we've come from and what God has taking us to. Because we recognize that that a child that was born, a savior that was given to us was not merely just meant to be a, a baby. Was not merely just meant to be a child or a man, or just a a human being, a priest or a prophet, he was given to us for just as Zechariah sang these praises, for being a horn of salvation, for being a forgiver of sins, for healing us, and not just the physical ailments that Beethoven and Zechariah experienced, but the the spiritual desperation that we have. At the same time, for those of us who are remembering that as we're communing together this morning, I also want to invite those that maybe you, you don't take communion because you have not recognized the salvation of Jesus Christ. Maybe you are still in that dark place as Zechariah was for nine months of shame and frustration, wallowing in sin, looking for redemption, a time that you are freed to speak a word of praise. Maybe you're still in that dumb, 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 dumb moment in your life And for those of you who are in that place, God wants to let you know, and he wants to make sure that you understand that you don't have to be and remain in that Beethoven's fifth symphony of fate, of death, of destruction, of frustration, of darkness, By believing that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that He was given as a gift to all of mankind for the forgiveness of sins, that you are and can be delivered from that life of darkness, the dead end, the dead end life of the flesh. That you don't have to live in unforgiveness. That you don't have to live in darkness. That you don't have to live in desperation and hopelessness. God wants you to know that Christ is for you. And he forgives you. And all he requires is for you to believe and obey, accept that forgiveness of sins, proclaim it as Zechariah did, and then lead a life of obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ, doing all that He's asked of us to do. And then we move from that dum 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 life to a life of the peace and the comfort, the joy of that pastoral symphony of happiness. Because we know that we are forgiven. We know that we've shed that darkness and that desperation in our life if that's you this morning and, and you are not sharing in this meal because you have not accepted that, then I want to invite you, while those of us are remembering our desperation and our salvation, I want to invite you to come up, and I, I just want to pray, pray with you. I want to explain to you what that means to be set free of the bondage of sin and desperation. And maybe you need to make that proclamation in your own life to accept the gift that God has given us in Jesus Christ. This is your time. Father, we're grateful for the the bread and the cup that you have given us to remember your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, we read and we Reflect on this beautiful hymn that Zechariah offered up to you. I praise to you, Lord, for offering salvation in your son, Jesus Christ. A recognition that you are a God that never forgets, that always fulfills his promises. Lord, that have brought your people out of darkness and desperation into a light life of light and hope and forgiveness. And for those of us, Lord, that have proclaimed you and are following you, Lord, as we take this meal, I pray that we reflect on where we have been brought from and what you are bringing us to in righteousness and sanctification through your son, Jesus Christ. Father, I pray for those of us, Lord, that are still struggling in that life of darkness. Lord, that you soften those hearts to receive forgiveness. Lord, to cast off the chains of darkness and desperation and to receive the liberty of your son, Jesus Christ, the forgiveness of sins and eternal life with you, God, our Father, through him. In Christ, I pray. Amen. Let's eat together.